Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 20 as we return to our study of the life of Abraham. You can also find our passage on the insert inside of your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's message. As you're making your way to Genesis chapter 20, I just want to remind us of where we are. Two Sundays ago, we finished up Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19 records God's judgment against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It also records for us the moral failure of Lot's daughters after fleeing the city. And in both of these instances, really, God's mercy, God's grace, God's judgment was placed before us. His mercy and grace in saving Lot and rescuing him. His judgment upon sin and upon wickedness. His judgment upon Lot's family um, for the vile acts of the daughters. And yet, also, we cannot forget, as we thought about this last time in Genesis 19, particularly with Lot's daughters, um, as they commit the rape of their father, uh, they produce two nations, Moab and Ammon. Um, Jesus would come through a Moabite. And while there's much wickedness and much to be seen in, in Genesis chapter 19, there is redemption as well. For through Ruth, the grandmother of someone we all might be familiar with, King David, we would get to Jesus. And so while there is great sin, God's divine plan moves ahead. It marches on. And it's following these events, it's on the heel of those events, that we come back to Abraham. Last we saw him, he was standing over the city. He has prayed for this city. He's looking over the destruction. He's seeing the, the totality of, of what has taken place, of God's annihilation of this region. And after such display, after such a display, you, you would expect a very cautious Abraham, a, a very hesitant man, a, a man who fully feared the divine wrath of God. However, that is not the case. Sadly, Abraham is up to old habits as we return to this narrative, which, just like it did last time, will require divine intervention to get him through it. But by the end, God's mercy is displayed. It's displayed in Abraham's life, in the life of Sarah, and also in the life of a pagan king named Abimelech. These are some of the figures we will come across this morning in our reading of God's Word. And so I ask you to look with me as I read for us from the Word of God, Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev, and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, 
I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who was keeping you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, Why have you done, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you a brother, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we ask his blessing upon the hearing of his word? Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray as we come up before this text this morning that we would all rightly fear you. Lord, that we would have a fear of sin and its impact in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, may we fear its ability to creep in and take root and to make itself surface at times of great need or great distress. Instead of trusting in sin, may we place our trust and our hope in you. Lord, reveal the truths of this passage this morning. Soften our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might receive your word this day. Make us a changed people for your glory and for our good. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, some of you that have been with us through this series may be wondering, have I heard this story before? This sounds a little familiar. And the reality of it is, you have. If you look back to Genesis chapter 12, this is the second time that Abraham has tried this trick. Um, then he's fleeing through Egypt in fear of his life. He does not want to be murdered, so he says, All right, Sarah, or Sarai at the time, if we ever get in trouble, just say you're my sister and it all will go well for us. And so they did. And the Pharaoh said, She's pretty, I want her. So he took her. And it took God's divine intervention to get them out, to rescue them. And so just in the exact same way, Abraham and Sarah are in a new land. And they play this trick again. Just say that you're my sister. And Sarah, being quite beautiful, 
was taken by Abimelech who wanted her. And again, it took divine intervention to rescue them and to bring about justice. But a little bit different this time over last, this time we're coming off of Genesis 19, where God has leveled His judgment upon a people. It has been before Abraham and Sarah. They have been witnesses to God's command, you shall love me, obey me, and fear me, or there will be punishment. So we'll think about that this morning as we go through this passage and the implications of their willing deceit uh, and really sin against God. And there are many lessons we could take away from this text, but I, I really want to look at four this morning, and you could break that, those down into two categories. Either, this morning we see from our text, the cost of sin or the consequences of sin. So we see the cost or consequence of sin, or we see the righteousness of God. And so two parts, cost of sin, righteousness of God, and we're going to see that in four sections of our text. Starting off in the first two verses with this idea that righteousness does not equal sinlessness. Righteousness does not equal sinlessness. Let's follow along with me as we consider this. Here we are at the start of our passage, and Abraham and Sarah are moving away from where they were near the Mamre. Now, scholars aren't sure exactly why they made this move. But again, if you consider it, you can think why. This place, this region, was on the hillsides above Sodom and Gomorrah. So maybe it's the scenery they want different. Maybe it's the smell of sulfur um, that they want to get away from. But a, a divine act has just taken place, and they're thinking, yeah, you know, we could try somewhere else. That most likely is the case to why they move. And they move to this new region, uh, to Gerar. And Gerar is on the southern border of Canaan. So they, they make a little bit of a trek, um, but now they are in a new place. And now that they're in a new place, and as our text tells us, we'll reflect on it here in a moment, they've got this plan. Anytime we're somewhere new, this plan goes into effect. We see it very plainly in verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And much like the events that took place in chapter 12, in fact, and, and I need to mention this, these two passages are so similar, some scholars, particularly liberal scholars, want to make them the same event. So sometimes you'll, you'll read, and especially if you're in your liberal scholarship, they'll say they're so similar because they are the same. And we're just telling the story again or in a different way to make some more points. I disagree with that. Um, I think it's two events because it happened twice. Um, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here we have the same story given. We have the same consequences. And Sarah is again taken by a leader, this time by the king, Abimelech. And before we consider the characteristics of this sin, I, I want to state very clearly, I, I want to make um, it very plain this morning. It is a sin to tell people your wife is your sister. I can't believe I even have to state this, but it is a sin to try to convince people that your wife is your sister. Now, I say that as a general blanket statement. I believe that's just generally good advice. But I also believe that this is true even though technically Sarah is Abraham's sister, as he makes the case. 
I would say this to Abraham like I say this to us. And for this reason, while technically true in Abraham's instance, look at his heart motivation behind it. Was he doing it out of a, I'm going to be accurate from a genealogical standpoint? Or were there sinful, selfish motivations going on? I believe the latter. And so let's think about that. Let's, let's think about the, the ways in which this is a sinful act and that it actually is very harmful to do. And to do that, uh, I, I turn to uh, James Montgomery Boyce. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says, this was a sin for three reasons. First, it is cowardly and it dishonors the role of husband. Instead, you know, the role of husband is to defend one's wife, to protect one's wife, to care for and shepherd one's wife. Abraham flips that on its head. What is his reasoning? What's his motivation? To save himself. This is even more plainly stated in Genesis chapter 12. He fears for his own life, and so he lies about his wife to protect himself. That's like, um, you know, it's, it's always uh, talked about it, it'd be manly to take a bullet for someone, to, to step in the way of the train, to protect your wife, to protect your spouse. Abraham's shoving her in the way of the train to keep himself safe. That's not a wise course of action, right? And, and here's where this is interesting, too. Can you think of someone else in biblical history, in recent biblical history, that maybe shoved someone in his family in front of danger to protect himself and protect others? Maybe Abraham's nephew Lot, who when faced with the, the mob in the village to protect the angels, the strangers, he offers his daughters. Don't rape the angels. Rape my children. Again, cowardly, not fatherly, and just bad advice. And so this is a sin on the part of Abraham. If we could, I mean, even if we needed even more evidence, uh, Paul in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. If you need an ultimate point here, um, Christ gave Himself up for His bride. He didn't sacrifice His bride for Himself. And so... Abraham is acting very cowardly here in our text. But secondly, we know that this is a sin because it's an old sin. This is, this is a pattern. This is something that's been tried before. Abraham can't claim, well, I didn't know it was going to work out like this, because he's done it. He did it in Egypt. He, he did it with Pharaoh. He knew what he was doing, and he knew of the potential consequences. What if God didn't intervene? His wife could be taken by another husband. His wife could be violated. Um, he could be, he could, someone could take her and then kill him. The very thing he's scared of and he's trying to prevent. There's all sorts of reasons why Abraham is culpable here. He knew better. But then thirdly, and, and this becomes apparent in our text, and, and to me this is one of the most damaging pieces of evidence. It's premeditated. This is a sin on the behalf of Abraham because it's premeditated. Look, look down to verse 13. What does Abraham say to Abimelech? He says that this is the conversation he had with his wife. This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Every time we come to a new village, you must do this as my wife. You must promote yourself um, as my sibling. So rather than leading his wife in truth... Rather than teaching his wife to fear and honor the Lord, he 
compels her every time they go somewhere to sin. Every time we go somewhere new, I want you to lie. I want you to violate the Lord's commands. I want you to act maliciously to save me. They were well-practiced. They were well-rehearsed. And again, for at least a second time, it catches up to them. And so, now that we've established that this is a sin, and that one shouldn't do this, let me, let me give us a, a point of application. It is God's mercy that this passage is placed before us. Why? There's only one perfectly righteous person, and that's Jesus Christ. There is only one who is full of righteousness and fully obeys completely the Word of God and the will of God. Abraham gives us an honest look here of a sinful child of God just like you and me. We may not have tried to sell our wives off as siblings, but we have violated God's commands and do so daily. Now, this passage is not promoting his sin. It's not saying, here, be a sinner like Abraham, but rather it's showing us that sinners sin. And yet they are still children of God. God does not let go of him. Lord willing, as we continue in Genesis, we're going to find out things keep happening in his life. But this should encourage us. This should also caution us. Another point of application, be very wary of habitual sin. There are particular sins that are going to be easier because of your demeanor, because of your personality, because of your family history. You must be all the more cautious against them. For Abraham, lying. For Abraham, being a poor husband. For Abraham, not leading well were easy sins. And he fell into them frequently and often, and they had dire consequences for him. And whatever that may be in our lives, we've got to put blocks in place. We've got to take steps. We've got to aggressively pursue righteousness over and against those sins. Or, just like happened here, the next time it's convenient, we're going to fall on our face again. But thankfully, God didn't let it get to that point for Abraham. God did not let this turn into vile sin. God did not let this go so far as the abuse of his wife. In fact, God intervened. God intervened in the life of Abraham, and he did it through a pagan king. Look with me at our second section to see how God's grace often intervenes on our behalf. And so let's lay the story out. Abraham lies. Sarah's taken captive. And Abimelech, you... you Put yourself in his shoes. A pagan king, he, he sees a beautiful woman. He sees her. She's not claimed by anyone. He wants her, so he takes her. This was fine as far as kings go. This was fine as far as culture goes. And before he can take advantage of the situation, which he intended to do, we can assume, the Lord visits him in a dream. And what are the words of the Lord? You picked a good one. I agree with this choice. No, God says, you are a dead man. The, the, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven and earth, comes to you in a dream, and, and, and you, know, you would, would hope this like, wonderful message, this like, you're awesome, life's awesome, you're doing great, I love you. No, God says to Abimelech, you're dead. You're dead because of the woman whom you've taken. She is married. God threatens to destroy him for what he's done. Now, maybe you find yourself this morning, you're going, now, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Abimelech here is innocent. Abimelech's not done anything wrong. 
In fact, if you listen, this whole section right here, this middle section, it's Abimelech going, wait a minute, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the one that did wrong here. Now, two things about that. One, no one's innocent. <laughs> None of us are innocent. But two, God actually affirms that. Because, uh, listen, um, what he says, he, he says, I didn't know. She said she was his Sister, he said, she was my brother. What was I to do? And then God says this. I know, because it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God knew that Abimelech didn't know. God did not let him violate her sexually. It was God's mercy and God's grace that restrained Abimelech from taking advantage of this situation. Now, let's be clear here. God treats sin seriously. God threatens to destroy Abimelech. Abimelech has sinned. He's claimed someone's wife as his own. Now, it was through deceit, but it still was a sin. And we don't let that slide. However, God's mercy does not let him pursue her. And here's the thing too, by extension, not only is God's mercy seen for Abimelech, it's also seen for Sarah. She's got this man who's not her husband that wants to take her as a wife, and God's not letting him near her. Not only for Sarah, this is also God's mercy seen to Abraham. The fool of a man has pawned his wife off as his sister. What did he expect to happen? The same thing as last time, right? Surprise! It didn't work then, it didn't work now. But God did not let a stranger take advantage of his wife. Mercy on top of mercy on top of mercy is displayed here. And oh, the, the lesson for us today is that sometimes by God's providential mercy, He restrains us. He does not let us pursue certain actions. He does not let us pursue certain desires. Sometimes that which we want is providentially hindered. May we pray that God would intervene in our lives all the more so that we would be kept from sin. We prayed it earlier in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Save us from ourselves, O God. Do you see how the Lord's hand protected these people? And sometimes God answers in that way. Sometimes preemptively, God stops us from carrying out sin. But sometimes God's grace and mercy is seen in that our sin is revealed. And so sometimes we're prevented from our sin. Sometimes God reveals our sin to us and in front of others. And that's what we see in our third section as it's the pagan king, Abimelech, who confronts Abraham. And there's some irony here. Abraham, over and over again, what is he called? He's called the man of righteousness. The man who fears God. But who fears God in this passage? Who's the righteous in this passage? Is it Abraham? No, it's the pagan. It's Abimelech. And I, I, love, I love what Abimelech comes. Uh, he, he, he calls for a meeting. He, he tells his servants they're afraid. He calls a meeting with Abraham. What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done things to me that ought not be done. May this... Rebuked by Abimelech, warn us. May it make us fear our sin. Abraham was only thinking of himself when he passed off his wife as his sister. 
He did not think of the consequences to her. What if she had been raped? What if she had become pregnant by him? And then he had to raise another child and another line that would antagonize Israel. What about Abimelech? What would this do to Abimelech? Hasn't God just dealt with a city very harshly for sexual immorality? Couldn't you see a situation where Abimelech sexually violates Sarah and then God destroys Abimelech and it's Abraham's fault for creating the scenario in the first place? He wasn't thinking like that. He was thinking, i got to live through this. What can I do to save me? And really, what's at the root of this, and, and let's be very clear, in this season of life, Abraham is not rightly fearing God. He doesn't believe God can see him through a pagan land. He doesn't believe that God can protect them. He doesn't believe that God is enough here, and so he takes the matters in his own hand and said, I'll handle this myself. While we may not prefer this act of mercy by God, may we praise Him when He brings it. I'll give you an example, a real, uh, an example in my own life um, where I have witnessed this. A good friend of mine, one of my best friends, was converted here in America while working on a PhD. He was an exchange student. He was caught shoplifting after he started recreating barcodes. He cracked a barcode system for a particular store and he started printing his own at a discount price. And he was arrested. The arresting officer was a Christian. And the arresting officer shared the gospel with him on the way to the station while he confessed everything that he had done. He was put in a cell to await judgment. His cellmate was a newly converted Christian who had just bought a stolen car and was put in prison for owning a stolen vehicle. His cellmate shared the gospel with him over the course of three days. He was converted through this experience. It cost him. It cost him greatly. It cost him his doctoral work. It cost him his marriage. His wife left him immediately. It cost him his internship. It cost him his sense of income here in the States. And it cost him his relationship with his family back home. He now worshipped a God that was foreign to them. However, my, my dear friend is grateful for God. He's grateful for that officer and he's grateful for that Christian who shared the gospel with him at his lowest point in his life. This same friend would later go on to seminary where he and I would meet, would then go on to do a doctorate of ministry, and is now home in his own country preaching the gospel to the underground church, encouraging other Christians in their faith and in their walk and strengthening them in times of hardship. Now, I don't know any of us that would pray, Dear God, would you please have me arrested so I'd grow my faith and strengthen you? But I know that He has praised God for that very thing. And because of that, many have been positively affected for the kingdom through that scenario. Oh, may we praise God when He reveals our sin. Oh, may we praise God when we have people in our lives like Abimelech, which in some ways models Nathan the prophet to King David right? It was you. You are the man. We may not want it, but may we praise Him when it comes. Sometimes God's mercy is seen in restraining our sin. Sometimes God's mercy is seen in revealing our sin. And then lastly this morning, I want us to see that 
God's mercy is seen in the prayers of the righteous. God hears the prayers of the righteous one. And, and this really is the, the, the kind of gut punch of our passage, isn't it? What does God tell Abimelech? Abraham's the one that's got to pray. You can't do it. Abraham, the one who has sinned against you and sinned against me, he's got to pray over the situation for it to be healed. We know that Abimelech, at least at this moment, he's fearing the Lord, right? Because he returns Sarah quickly. <laughs> and not only that, he, he takes a, a lot of things with him. He, he takes an offering up and he, he sends it on their way. It's, it's, a, it's a thousand pieces of silver. Um, sheep and oxen, male servants, female servants. And normal bridal price, just so you have a reference, uh, was 50 pieces. And so, you do the math. Well over the normal price here. But let's ask a, a question. What's going on? Why, why would Abimelech act in this way? Now, I love what John Calvin says. John Calvin says that the reason for such a great gift has nothing to do with Abraham. Rather, it's the only way Abimelech can see to make peace with the God who's reached out to him. So really, this is not a sacrifice to Abraham. It's a sacrifice to God. And we know that there's not really peace between them, and there's a bargain here. <laughs> and it's actually, it was actually asked this morning in, in Sunday school, uh, the humor of God. Here it is, right here. Listen to the words of Abimelech. Behold, I have given your... Who? Your husband? No. I gave your brother a thousand pieces of silver. You're going to claim him as brother? Then I'll give it to your brother. I won't, I won't call him husband. You've sinned against me. Here you go. Get out of my life. <laughs> Got to get away from here. Abimelech uses these words as a final like jab. Like, yeah, you made a mess of my life. Y'all go, go on. But we shouldn't miss the fact that he is doing this out of a sense of appeasing the God that is called out to him. He is trying to make things right. But let's ask another question. So that's Abimelech. Why did Abraham have to pray? Why is it that Abraham prays for Abimelech's forgiveness? Well, Abraham is God's prophet. He is a messenger for God, God's mouthpiece. Abimelech, even though it was done in ignorance, sinned against Abraham and sinned against God. He took another man's wife. And so when we, we see Abraham here praying and God healing Abimelech and his household, what we see is not Abraham doing these things, but the Lord doing it through him. And so it's God restoring Abimelech, not Abraham restoring Abimelech. It's not Abraham forgiving Abimelech, it's God forgiving Abimelech. And how humbling would that have been for Abraham? How low would that have brought him? He caused this mess. He created this catastrophe. He's done it not once but twice, and God says, now you go and, you go and pray over him. Ooh. You go and trust me and pray over this man. And from here forward, don't forget it. Ooh, that would have stung. He would have felt that. It's only through the hand of the Lord that any of us turn to him. It's only through the hand of the Lord that any of us are forgiven. It's by His mercy and His grace that we're kept from reaching our full sinful potential. 
It's by His mercy and His grace that our sins are revealed to us, either in our hearts or through the testimony of others. One commentator makes an important point. Abraham's mentioned all throughout the Scriptures from here forward. Um, Particularly, he's heavily mentioned in, in, in Romans in the New Testament and Hebrews in the New Testament. Never again does this instance come up. God does not state it. God does not use it as an example. God does not weigh it against him. Because God is a God of forgiveness. Abraham may be an unrighteous servant. Abraham might be a sinful man. Abraham might falter and make poor decisions, but God does not. And when God forgives, God forgets. And here's, here's the kicker in this, and it, it, it takes us a little bit out of our passage, but oh, it's worth it. What has been the promise to Abraham? What have we been waiting for since Genesis chapter 12? What have we been longing for? What's the promise? You will have a child. Couldn't God have changed his mind at this point? Couldn't God now after this again go, nah, oh, we'll pick somebody else. We'll, we'll work this another way. Well, we'll have to wait for next time, but if your, your thumb is still there and your, your Bible has a title, look what chapter 21 is about. What's coming? God does not forget. Abraham is faithless. God is faithful. Abraham forgets. God remembers. God keeps his promises even when we don't. And oh, dear friends, if that doesn't encourage you this morning, I don't know what else I can tell you. Because we fall and falter all the time. We miss the mark. We cannot uphold the standard, but God can and God does. And ultimately, He does so through His Son, Jesus Christ. That if we but take Him by faith, we are called children of God. Not perfect, not sinless, but children of God. And praise Him that He takes us as we are. Let us pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, what encouragement this morning. We see an imperfect example of Your people. And may that serve as a mirror to us today. Lord, may we look at the sin of Abraham and may we look at his faults and his failures and may we consider our own hearts and our own temptations and our our own desires to act in this way, to again and again and again go to those familiar sins, to constantly turn our back on you because we don't believe that you are enough to protect us, to provide for us, to rescue us. And so we take matters in our own hands. Lord, would you draw us closer to you this day in light of your word? Would you do so every day? Help us to trust you more and more. Sanctify us. Help us to hate sin and love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.